This is Medicaid Leadership Exchange, a podcast where Medicaid directors and other guests get frank about what it's like to steward the nation's largest health insurance program. Through Medicaid and the Children's Health Insurance Program, 56 agencies administer a complex web of programs that provide access to essential health services. Listen in as we explore some of the challenges Medicaid leaders navigate and their top priorities to deliver services and build health. Hello, and welcome to the Medicaid Leadership Exchange. I'm your host, Gretchen Hammer. This podcast season, we are taking on the challenge of aligning Medicaid and other social services to better and more effectively serve people. Sometimes that conversation is about bringing existing partnerships to a new level of impact, you know, a process improvement story. But today's conversation is really about innovation. Our guests are from California, where they are jointly working on the Justice Involved Reentry Initiative with the explicit goal to improve healthcare outcomes and advance health equity for justice-involved populations in the state. We are very excited about this conversation. If you've been paying attention to Medicaid news, you know that California has gotten a lot of press and a lot of praise for really taking on some of these uh, alignment issues, in particular for individuals who are involved in the criminal justice system. The justice-involved initiatives that are part of a newly approved waiver for the state of California really begin to create a continuum of services from free release all the way through re-entry or release and re-entry back into the community. And today we're going to hear directly from people who are working on making this uh, concept come to life. So very excited to have colleagues from both um, a local sheriff's department as well as California Medicaid agency uh, to share with us about their work. I'm going to let them each introduce themselves, but also remind you that like all podcasts, Mark Larson from the Center for Healthcare Strategies will also be joining us at the end to pull out his observations and leadership lessons. So we'll first start with introductions. Autumn, would you like to introduce yourself, please? Thanks, Gretchen, and thanks for having us join your podcast today. My name is Autumn Boylan, and I'm a Deputy Director with California's Department of Healthcare Services our state Medicaid agency, and so happy to be with you. Terrific. And Lieutenant Modest. Hi, good morning. Um, Thank you for having me, first and foremost. I am Lieutenant Ty Modest with the Alameda County Sheriff's Office. I am the Public Information Officer. Well, I am so excited for this conversation, but um, we know that any big initiative, in particular initiative that comes out of California, has lots of um, components and moving parts. So I'm going to first turn it over to you, Autumn, to help level set our conversation with an overview of some of the criminal and justice involved initiatives that you all are working on. Great. Thank you so much. So in January, California became the first state in the nation to get approved to offer a targeted set of Medicaid services to youth and adults in state prisons, county jails, and youth correctional facilities for up to the 90-day period prior to the individual's release. Our intent with this demonstration project is to build a bridge for individuals um, into community-based care um, to ensure that justice-involved Medi-Cal beneficiaries have available to them services necessary to stabilize their conditions and to establish a re-entry plan for community-based care prior to release. And that's really the key to the work is that coordinated re-entry to help set the person up for success as they are re-entering the community so that they have the support in the community that's necessary in order to be successful. 
In California, over 400,000 adults and youth are released from California prisons, jails, or juvenile facilities annually, and 80% of these justice-involved individuals are eligible for California's Medicaid program. Perfect. Thank you so much for setting that context. I know that, you know, certainly you have set a, a state policy, but many criminal justice systems and settings also happen at the local or community level. So, Lieutenant Modest, can you share with us what sort of piqued the interest of Alameda County in uh, participating in this work? Well, first, you know, Sheriff Sanchez, one of her priorities is to make sure that Alameda County has safe and livable counties. And in order to do that, we can't just focus on what's happening in custody. We have to also make sure that we're partnering with um, our community partners to make sure that when people leave our custody, that they have a continuity of services. So in able to do that, we're making sure that we're a part of this uh, program so that when they come in our custody from the onset, we we have like a reception setting where we're having people kind of like they do in a hospital triage, talking about what services they are used to um, getting in the community, what services we have inside the facility along, you know, that's taking place along with our our wellness partners, um, WellPath and County Behavioral Health, um, Five Keys, our educational program. So from the onset of their stay all the way through their stay, they're receiving programming and access to information that they may not have had while they were in the community. And that's continuing until they leave. And then there's a, a warm handoff so that they can continue those services. And the hope is that we can decrease re recidivism when we give them the tools that they need to be productive, healthy, and whole in the community. It's certainly known that you know, people when they are in an incarcerated setting get a lot of services and supports, but sometimes they get disconnected from their Medicaid services. And so I know, Autumn, that that's part of what you all are looking at is making sure you can reconnect people as quickly as possible to their services what more are you thinking about in that area? Yeah, thanks for that question. The uh, 1115 waiver that we got in January was really focused on that pre-release set of services, but it is part of a larger um, vision for making sure that we make services available to justice-involved individuals in the state of California. So one key component of that uh, part of that larger initiative is to uh, make sure that there's a process uh, by which um, individuals who are eligible for Medi-Cal can get enrolled while they're still um, in custody. And so, you know, first step, and that actually went live in January of 2023. It did not require a federal waiver. Um, and we are working with correctional facilities throughout the state to make sure that there are processes in place for individuals to be enrolled prior to release. We're also working on our policies related to eligibility and suspension requirements so that there's um, a clear direction from the state to our correctional partners about uh, when services, uh, you know, when services can be delivered to Medi-Cal enrolled individuals and through the waiver that's for that 90 day period prior to release. Um, but, but really wanna make sure that, um, that we're getting people enrolled when they're eligible for the program 
um, and that they can continue to receive services, not only um, reimbursable services now through our waiver while they're incarcerated, but also um, those re-entry services and create those linkages early um, to build that bridge like I was talking about before. Terrific. And how did you all um, collaborate or communicate across um, the two different systems about the kinds of things that needed to be included in those service packages? I know that certainly um, it sounds like, again, at the county level, there are already supports that are put in place as part of a normal experience of, of incarceration to make sure people are connected and, and have the chance to have the resources they need. But when you think about those pre-release services, Autumn, that you created as part of the Medicaid waiver service, how did you come about those or, or what was the focus of those services? Great. So we um, have been engaging in a robust stakeholder process uh, for, a, for a long time now. So since October of 2021, well before we got approval for our waiver demonstration in January, we engaged with key partners um, through a statewide justice-involved advisory committee. And that committee has really been essential in helping California to de uh, design our policy and operational uh, considerations, including informing our waiver negotiations with the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services. Uh, through that advisory group, we convened a diverse and visible stakeholder a group of leaders and representatives from key sectors across the state, including counties, prisons, jails, providers, consumers, health plans, and policy organizations to help give regular input into the key policy and um, implementation issues that are really informing where we're at today and informed what was approved in our waiver, including that set of pre-release services and, and what will be delivered to individuals in carceral settings. So really uh, engaged early, engaged often with a large group of key implementation partners to help inform that work. And that's how we got to the set of packages that are approved through our waiver. Lieutenant Medes, turning to you, we know that you know each community is different. Each community has a different demographic profile, a different set of resources. We also know that in the criminal justice population, individuals of color can be disproportionately represented. So as you have thought about the services and supports and also this new opportunity with Medi-Cal, how have you taken the unique needs of the population that you serve into consideration? How have you connected with those communities? So we've partnered with, in order to make it flow properly and for people to have access that they um, so one is language barriers. So we have a lot of people who come into custody that don't speak English and um, Spanish speaking is like the number one language that comes into our facility. So we've partnered with La Familia and other, you know, community based organizations that help us facilitate that. So in our process, we've partnered with social services, um, county probation uh, and our information technology department, re-imaging um, adult justice and county behavioral health plus our wellness partner, WellPath. And so what we've done is together look at the demographic of, you know, the population that comes into the facility and directly targeted um, services that will extend to them while when they go back into the community. One of the partners that we also have is 
we have a safe landing project and that's the Roots Community Health Center. They are stationed right in front of the jail and they've been there probably since the onset of COVID. And they have a trailer out front. And when we are working hard, while we're working hard in here to get people recognized and signed up in conjunction with, you know, the social services agency for benefits through CalAIM, if for whatever reason, the justice involved individual does not feel like they want to participate, they have another opportunity to do it before they leave the property. Once they go outside, then, you know, it's kind of like a, you usually hear people say catch and release. It's a release and catch them down at the end of the ramp. You know, the roots, they're down there to, to talk to them. And the hope is, is that we may be talking to them here in the facility, but sometimes there's a trust issue. So people aren't readily willing to sign up for anything if we're kind of, you know, suggesting it or recommending it to them. Sometimes that's that's a challenge. And so when they walk out of here and they go down the ramp and they are talking to people who they from the community who they could probably identify with better, because some of those people are former justice involved people. So they 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 are able to connect with them sometimes in a way that we aren't. And so we're getting people to sign up in that process. So we're trying to you know, deal with it from um, every angle possible so that we maximize the number of people that we're you know, getting services to. Uh, I think what Lieutenant Modesta is saying uh, right now about the trust issue is really key. Um, and one of the reasons that we uh, wanted to have this 90-day pre-release period of services so that a care management team can be in place to help provide support to the individual while they are incarcerated and start to build those trusting relationships to help really um, prime the individual for that warm handoff that will happen and really take the time that's necessary to build the confidence that when that warm handoff happens, that there's somebody on the other side. So either the pre-release care manager, it could be a community-based organization that's working inside the correctional facility to provide services uh, through in-reach services, or it could be the correctional facility staff that are providing those services. But in either case, a big uh, uh, component of California's program is to ensure that that warm handoff happens and that there's linkage to that community-based provider. And in California, as part of our CalAIM uh, 1915B waiver, we also have um, a, a new benefit called enhanced care management. And so really the hope is to connect that pre-release care manager to the enhanced care management provider on that, um, you know, for to help coordinate re-entry services and, and do that warm handoff. It's also really important to make sure that the linkages for behavioral health services are happening while the individual is incarcerated to help again, build those trusting relationships and establish that continuity of care from the individual in the in the carceral setting to county behavioral health or other systems that will help to serve these individuals. Yes, that that's absolutely happening here. Um, I mentioned our reception center for when people are first coming into custody, they go through orientation and in that orientation, orientation, they get to learn about the services that are provided here. And in that process is where they start making those linkages and building those relationships because our 
County Behavioral Health and our wellness partner, WellPath, they're involved in those processes. So from the onset, they're building those relationships and continuing those relationships through the stay of their incarceration and identifying programs in the community that they qualify for and can transition to in that warm handoff when they leave here. But we still sometimes will see um, a, a small percentage of the population who are still resistive to that. And then, you know, when, when they leave out of here, we kind of encourage them to stop at our community-based partners who will then try to build that relationship with them so that nobody slips through the cracks. Terrific. Just sounds like amazing work. One of the things I was thinking about, and you've both mentioned it, is there's sort of connectivity and alignment for physical health services and then connectivity and alignment for behavioral health services. And I, I know we all wish that that wasn't necessarily the bifurcation, but it does seem like you all have been attentive to both, getting people connected if they have physical health needs that need to bridge between being incarcerated and being in the community, but also behavioral health. Do you have any thoughts about or lessons learned from trying to focus on both behavioral health and physical health? Maybe I can start and hand it over to Ty, um, but we really did try to address this as part of our uh, waiver construction. Um, we're very cognizant of the fact that people who are incarcerated or have previously spent time in jails and prisons experience disproportionately higher rates of physical and behavioral health diagnoses and are at a higher risk for injury and death as a result of trauma, violence, overdose, and suicide. Um, and for incarcerated individuals who have a behavioral health disorder, they are more likely than those without a behavioral health disorder to have been homeless in the year prior to incarceration, less likely to have been employed prior to their arrest, and more likely to report a history of physical or sexual abuse. And so we really want to make sure that we have services available to create those linkages for behavioral health services and support so that individuals, while they're still incarcerated, can begin to receive treatment and stabilization services, um, and, um, and then make those connections to those community-based providers who will help to support um, those individuals. And with our enhanced care management benefit, it's really that whole person care approach uh, to making sure that we're meeting the needs of the whole individual and bringing those kind of physical health needs and behavioral health needs together uh, with one entity that is responsible for helping the individual, the, the Medicaid member manage their um, manage their whole person care, right? And so people don't think about their um, their conditions or illnesses as this or that. They think about this is what I need. Um, these are you know I this is what I need help with. A lot of times that's around making sure that they're getting connected to housing supports, which can be done through our community supports. Um, uh, program in California as part of California's uh, CalEAM waiver. It also could mean that they need just general assistance and getting connected to a variety of service providers. And our um, enhanced care management coordinators can help to make sure that um, individuals are getting connected to all of the various uh, services that are necessary. Um, I will also say that we have a lot of experience in um, in doing this in California, um, previously from 2016 to 2021, we had whole person care pilots as part of our waiver. And many of these pilots aim to increase access to housing and supportive services. And uh, the independent evaluation that we did of that program showed that 
the justice involved target population was most likely to receive housing support services for programs that had a coordinated reentry. And that's really where we're, you know, how we got to where we are today with this waiver is really focusing in on the specific and unique needs of this population to bridge those worlds and make sure that folks are getting the support that they need. I absolutely agree. Um, I like the concept of the whole person care approach because that is essentially what happens here at the Santa Rita Jail when people come in. They go through the process of talking to um, our wellness partner for physical health. They typically talk to them first unless they are experiencing some type of um, mental health crisis in the moment. They talk to the physical wellness partners first and then they talk to the county behavioral health uh, second. And in that process, they're, they're coordinating and putting the best care package together for the individual, um, their wholeness. So uh, I completely agree with everything Autumn just said. Terrific. Well, we are miraculously coming to the end of our time for our conversation today, but I wanted to just ask you two final questions. And the first is, you know, you've been, as you've said, Autumn, on this journey for a long time, I know Alameda County, you've been focusing on uh, the well-being of the population that you serve for a long time. But what are you sort of most excited about with this new aligned approach? Um, obviously, you've put a lot of effort in trying to smooth this transition and get these systems to better align. So I wanted to ask you uh, first what you're most excited about as you look ahead to the future. And then also what what key lesson would you share with any other state who wants to follow or county sheriff's office who wants to follow in your footsteps? Are there any key lessons or things that you really think are um, critical for people to think, keep in mind if they think about these ideas? So first, what you're most excited about? And second, any just pearls of wisdom that you would offer to your colleagues? And I let either one of you begin. So I would say in California, one of the things that we're most excited about is having a, a the ability to really impact uh, people's lives in a positive way. Um, this justice-involved initiative that we are uh, launching in California will result in reduced gaps in care, improved health outcomes, and prevention of unnecessary admissions to inpatient hospitals, psychiatric hospitals, nursing homes, emergency departments, um, and really um, go a long way to reducing overdose, suicide, homelessness, and recidivism. And really, at the end of the day, it's about making sure that uh, vulnerable Californians have access to the services and supports that are necessary to make them whole and healthy individuals within our communities. And building that bridge to the community-based care and helping to support people at a time in their lives that is really um, most critical to provide those supports um, is really something that I think we are all excited about in California in partnering to do this work. Uh, we've often said that our Calium initiative, which is really aimed at those whole person supports and thinking about the delivery of healthcare services in a different way, can change the trajectory of an individual's life. And this um, Calium Justice Involved component really amplifies that goal um, and, and really can help to change the trajectory of an individual's life in California. And, and I think that's most critical. And then I would say in terms of lessons learned, um, you know, engage early and often with your partners. Um, that's what we've done. That's what we continue to strive to do. 
and it will be critical to the success of our um, initiative in California. But for all of those of you who follow in, in these footsteps, um, to make sure that you're engaging with your correctional facility partners, your county partners, your behavioral health infrastructure, um, just across the board. And, um, and really, um, you can't do that enough because those partnerships are, are so very important to the success of the work. And I think with that, I'll turn it over to my partner, uh, Lieutenant Modest, to share their perspective. Thank you. I think that what we're most excited about and looking forward to is we're always excited to see justice involved people leave here better than we receive them. And then to continue on and have success in becoming healthier, getting support with their uh, drug and alcohol um, dependency, getting housing and employment. Um, we've had some real success stories. Our, you know, reentry and support services team they they follow up with a lot of people who have taken part in the programming here to see, you know, where they land and how they land. They've even gotten jobs through our Dig Deep Farms. And, you know, just, it's really nice to see how they started and, you know, where they are right now. So we're, we're just excited to see some more success stories come out of, of, you know, the Santa Rita Jail. When people usually think of the incarcerated you know, in an incarcerated environment, they think that, you know, we're just here for the enforcement of it, but we're here for the totality of it. Of course, we're law enforcement, we have a job to do, but, you know, providing services and getting people ready for a reentry is important to us. And learning lessons, I think that because we work with our partners, we're used to doing that to provide services. Um, I think we jumped on those partnerships early. So it's it's kind of, it's really helpful, been extremely helpful to us because it's not something that we are normally a part of. So having our wellness partners and our county behavioral health partners already have insight from the medical perspective, just allowed us to jump on board and do what we do and us doing it you know, in a collaborative way. It's pretty exciting. And we're looking forward to continuing. I just want to say, you know, thank you to Lieutenant Modest for being here with us to end this podcast today, because I think, you know, this is really an example of the type of partnership that we've had in California with the state level and the local level coming together. And we're really excited about the work that Alameda County is doing. And, and, and I say, you know, find your champions in this work because it's mm -hmm. folks like Lieutenant Modest. Um, and the, the sheriff in Alameda County, Sheriff Sanchez, who can really help to advance this work and build those bridges. And just thank you for sharing all of the efforts that you are, um, that you have underway in Alameda County to make this, this program success and, and really um, thinking about, you know, the populations that you serve. So thank you so much. You're welcome. Thank you for having me. Yes, thank you. So inspired by your shared commitment to improving people's lives. So Mark, I'm going to turn it over to you for your uh, final reflections on the conversation today. Gretchen, thank you. Uh, what a pleasure to be part of the conversation. Our theme for this season is about cross-sector alignment. And uh, what a pleasure to be able to see an example in practice. Lieutenant Modest, Autumn, what I appreciated was you illustrated for us the lessons around when we want to get to that level of 
really practical, um, hands on the ground plan that makes a difference in people's lives, uh, the work that it takes to get to that point, uh, you mentioned in many different ways the importance of the shared vision and purpose. And I, I was particularly struck by your agreement around the, the phrase whole person uh, or person-centered services and care. Uh, you work in two different systems that have different language, different, um, you know, different mission statements, but what a great example of how you can find common purpose in in language and my assumption is that it took some time to get to that place um and then you both talked in different ways about the importance of building that trust and um you talked about the importance of building trust for the individuals you serve uh, with the legal and health system and what a parallel to the to the work autumn you just demonstrated in building relationship uh, with each other along the way as champions in this work. Uh, we know that that shared purpose only goes as far as that trust building. Uh, and Autumn, you helped us remember the importance of data in there too. You know, every now and then, as much as we agree to how the world could be different when we work together, we have to understand what do we know about the people and communities that we serve uh, and how do we continue to add their voice into the mix? Thank you both for helping remind us about what it means to, to do this hard work. Um, the nation is watching California and your efforts, and we appreciate you sharing a little bit of that today. I was just going to say thank you so much for having us, and and we know that that folks are watching and cognizant of that and, and really glad to be partners with the nation as we do this work. Terrific. Well, thank you all very much. As Mark said, the focus of the podcast season is cross-sector alignment, and what an amazing way to, to start off a conversation about two really important systems. And Autumn, as you said, uh, people who have experienced both systems often are at a critical point in their life where they need all the services and supports they can to, to get back on track. And so thank you again for this, and we look forward to talking with more state partners across uh, the nation through the rest of the season of the podcast. This podcast is a collaboration between the Center for Healthcare Strategies and the National Association of Medicaid Directors. It is made possible by the Robert Wood Johnson Foundation.